Hello there. Welcome to the Thriving Family Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. It's Teresa and Barbara. We're so happy you're here. We know how many great podcasts are out there, and we're grateful that you're taking the time to hang out with us in a supportive space to fill your cup and elevate your life. This podcast is about parenting, but a lot about taking care of you as the parent. We are the captain of our family ship, so the better we feel, the more smooth sailing there is for everyone. We really want to discuss the tough and awkward subjects that we all come across in parenting, especially with school-aged and older kids. We're here with you through all the peaks and valleys to hold space for you through all the feels and to help make sure you always put on your own oxygen mask first. Our hope is that you know you're never alone in parenting and that we're here to support you at every stage. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you, and we provide new content every week. If you have a question for us, please reach out on Instagram at Thriving Family Podcast. We're here for you, so let us know what topics would be helpful and that you're interested in. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with family and friends. If you leave a review, you'll have the opportunity to win a gift that we absolutely love. We'll tell you more about it at the end of the episode. Let's get started. Barbara and I had such a good time recording this podcast episode with Dr. Pam. It was great to have her back on the show. We covered so much about menopause and perimenopause, including that this whole process can take 10 years or more. As always, there were lots of laughs, but we also talked about some of the more awkward symptoms that aren't commonly talked about. Then at the end, we even get into important blood work tests and panels to be aware of and tips and tricks to help us be youthful and timeless at every age. Because really, who doesn't want that? We're so excited to be sharing this information with you because Dr. Pam is a functional naturopathic physician, which means she has medical prescriptive authority, so she's able to combine the best of all worlds for really the best results. And there's so much value in using traditional medicine that requires a prescription from your physician, but also she integrates the natural remedies like herbs and homeopathics that can be super life-changing. Dr. Pam also has great ideas for prevention to help us avoid the dreaded dwarves of menopause. Take a listen, share, subscribe, and leave a review to enter to win our free giveaway. Enjoy. Hi, Dr. Pam. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you so much, Barbara. I'm excited to be here with you guys. I'm excited to talk today about menopause because honestly, a lot of my friends that have been listening to episodes and stuff, they're like, can you cover this? And I was going to ask you, are you okay? Like going over kind of perimenopause and there's like another one and then like signs and what to do. I was thinking about this topic today. It came to mind was actually Suzanne Summers. Oh yes. The seven dwarfs of menopause and it's itchy, bitchy, sleepy, sweaty, bloated, forgetful, and all dried up. (laughs) That is funny. It kind of encompasses a lot of the symptoms that a lot of women experience. And one of the things that maybe is a little bit left out would be anxiety. So for a lot of women, they might not have had anxiety ever before. And all of a sudden they're feeling a lot more anxious. So that would be maybe an eighth dwarf that I would somehow add in there. But the tricky thing about menopause is that perimenopause. So that actually is what comes before. And that can be 10 years before you actually are in menopause. I don't like the word diagnosed because it's a natural thing where it's a great transformation for a lot of women. It doesn't have to be any of those dwarfs at all. But 
to be, I guess, fully in menopause, you have to experience this no period at all for 12 months, which okay. is kind of frustrating for some women. They'll be like, okay, I haven't had one for six months. And all of a sudden they get one and they're like, oh my God, this starts all over again. <laughs> right. So oh, got it. There got are it. tests as well that can identify where the hormones levels are specifically two hormones, FSH and LH. Those are the hormones from the brain that are telling the ovary to do their job. When the ovaries are going into retirement, they're not listening to the brain anymore. So those hormones go up, 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 like they go quite high. And so once they're over a certain amount, we're like, okay, your ovaries aren't really listening, at least not this time and period when we took the blood out, then you're probably at least in perimenopause, if not fully in menopause, if that makes sense. And I think what's hard for a lot of people is that there isn't like a telltale sign with perimenopause. You just kind of are feeling different and you're like, am I, am I? And I know I got blood work done and they're like, no, you're not. And I'm like, okay, but other things are going on. And I know this is happening for a lot of my friends and it's different per person. It's like when you get your period, right? So it's different ages, different stages. When you experience this stuff, the average age of actually like menopause. So no period for the last year is 51. Some women go a little bit longer in terms of how long it takes to get that year without a period. Some women are a little bit earlier. If you're below 40 though, that would be probably in the realm of something called premature ovarian insufficiency. So that actually puts women at risk for cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, different inflammatory conditions. Our sex hormones, estrogen and progesterone are really protective for our bones, our cardiovascular system, our brain. And so if you're losing out on that critical amount of hormone too early, you could be at risk for those things later on. So if you're experiencing lack of period and there's signs of maybe perimenopause before 40, definitely worth speaking to your primary care practitioner about that mm -hmm. because you might be a candidate for hormone replacement therapy and it might be something that you need to be on to, to kind of protect yourself later in life. What would you suggest when someone starts to experience one of those dwarves, if they're feeling more tired, do you suggest them getting their blood panel done or is there anything that we can be doing supplemental wise, or is it kind of just like, oh, you're in perimenopause have fun. Definitely not. Especially in my world, we have a whole toolbox of things. <laughs> Which is great because yeah, you don't want the chemicals. I want the natural stuff. And you brought up Suzanne Summers and I'm like, which one and this and the, you know, I'm like, how do I find the right doctor to give me the potions and the magic to like do this with ease and age with grace? Yeah. So that is tricky. And working with a practitioner that is well-versed, I would say in both pharmaceutical and natural therapies is helpful because part of my toolbox is using bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. It just sort of depends on the person, what their symptoms are, how their lifestyle, like, of course, I'm going to go to lifestyle first. Yeah. So what is your diet? Like, where are your stress levels at? How much exercise are you doing? Because all of those things are going to work so much better to be honest than any supplement that you're going to take if those things aren't in place then we know we're kind of working against that so diet is huge and, and an example of that in my own practice is we were waiting for blood work for a patient she was having a lot of hot flashes so i just said you know what take two tablespoons of ground flax seeds a day that wasn't really my treatment for her hot flashes but in my head i was like well it's estrogenic she needs more fiber fiber is super important for hormones actually and helping with your digestion and her hot flashes went away within two weeks and i was like okay that's crazy and exciting and like great right yeah so just doing certain dietary changes can make a huge impact so of course I like to start with that stress another big one 
I have a chart at work that has like all our crazy hormones on it. And I use it quite a bit because it really paints the picture of how related all of the different hormones are in our body, not just estrogen, progesterone, but on that chart, progesterone is actually the backbone and needed to make cortisol. So for making a lot of cortisol and our stress hormone, then our progesterone levels are going to be used up. And if our ovaries are going into retirement and we're not making as much progesterone, then we're using up even more of that resource, which can further the, the perimenopause or menopause symptoms. When the ovaries are no longer ovulating, then there's something called the corpus luteum that then is what's producing progesterone in the second part of a menstrual cycle. Uh-huh. When your ovaries are no longer ovulating, that job of producing progesterone falls on the adrenal glands and the adrenal glands already have a pretty big job of, you know, regulating our cortisol levels, our stress hormone, our blood pressure. They have a a really big job to do already. They don't want to be on the role of more progesterone, right? So that's where I see a lot of the symptoms come is in perimenopause, hormones are obviously starting to go down. And typically progesterone is like sort of a straight line kind of going down. Whereas estrogen is more like a roller coaster where some days it's up high and sometimes it's low. So if we're taking it from baseline of progesterone, all of a sudden your estrogen is super high. That's really out of balance, right? Because it's not going down in the same line, if you will. Yeah. Not that the declining progesterone levels causes more cortisol production. It just means that you're using up more of the progesterone that's available to make the cortisol. So if your body's in a state of stress and making a lot of cortisol, then you're using that up even faster. Is it common to take progesterone during this time then to help ease that? Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, okay. I, I tend to go right to it for most women because I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, you're symptomatic. You're like, okay, yeah, I got to change my whole lifestyle. That's not going to happen overnight. Progesterone can work within two weeks. So <laughs> I really like that. If you're feeling itchy and bitchy and sleepy and sweaty and bloated, like all the things I just mentioned, you don't want something to take three months, right? We're going to work on those things to kind of help with it. But yeah. And as you were listing that, I wanted to know, like, what if I'm feeling three of the seven or eight? How many does it take? It's one. It could be one, right? It It could be one. Okay. Got it. Not really supposed to have major symptoms around this time. That's a sign that the body needs some support. Awesome. Is this also a proactive thing? We know we're getting to a certain age, or do you typically recommend clients wait until they actually have those symptoms? It's a really good question because I'm all about prevention. (laughs) Definitely, right? Like in a lot of ways, it's so much easier, especially like the lifestyle factors. That's a whole change in what you've been doing for 40 years, potentially, right? So in terms of looking at stress levels, I mean, we can do that at any age. Bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, which is, I don't use like, HRT, there's, I can go into the differences of that later, but I've even started women on that in their thirties or sometimes twenties, depending on what they're going through. So I know another topic in the future will be fertility, but it's also used in fertility quite a bit. So even in that age demographics, progesterone is what I would start somebody on if they wanted to go the pharmaceutical route. And I would never give a cycling woman estrogen. There's some maybe situations where I would, but for the most women, I would say no. Uh, But progesterone is definitely one that I have started women on in that perimenopause sure. And seeing dramatic improvements. If they are getting a period, you just don't take it during that time because naturally our progesterone levels drop. That's why we get a period. So our progesterone levels drop and then that induces, you know, induce a period, I guess. One of the things I love best about you, you are so on the ball with just being in tune, tapped in with really understanding people where they're at. You're not recommending things that are, you know, don't eat anything that's bad right? I mean, you have such practical tips for that. And so that proactive nature of the way you make recommendations is just everything to me. So thank you. 
I try to be realistic because chips are my kryptonite. So how am I going to sit here telling someone not to eat chips when on long weekend at the lake, I'm eating chips. <laughs> like, chips like, are so good. I swear they up my progesterone or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it is so true because I can't tell you how many of my friends, it's a big conversation now of like, oh, I'm experiencing this. I'm this. Do you, what are you doing for it? Because I think there's a lot of information, but not a lot of information. It's all over the place. And obviously a lot of my friends and I like the natural approach, but that is hard. So you were saying progesterone on the medical front, but on the natural front, what would you recommend or who do they need to go see if they weren't seeing a naturopath? How does that look? That is a little trickier because obviously the herbs can work amazing as well. And I do use them sometimes in my practice, depending on the symptoms that someone's experiencing. So if it is sort of that we know cortisol is high, progesterone is low, there are certain herbs that work really well with restoring that balance, especially herbs that support the adrenal glands. So ashwagandha is a really great one or Siberian ginseng. And like, there's a lot of herbs that really help nourish and help with that cortisol stress response. If it's kind of just the anxiety piece, because that's something like I mentioned earlier that can really come up for women, then maybe we're looking at things that help with the anxiety because it can just feel like it's coming out of nowhere and it is hormonally driven, but maybe we don't need to treat it hormonally if that makes sense. So there's certain herbs that are incredible for anxiety, like passion flower, GABAs can work really well for anxiety as well. So maybe we're targeting the symptom a little bit. That's not really getting to the underlying cause per se, but that's the only symptom, for example. Another one that's maybe not talked about as much is vaginal dryness. So I know you might like to really bring to light things that are maybe not as spoken about, but that's a huge one. And that can interfere with relationships. Uh-huh. I even have some women in my practice where they can't sit down. Like that's how painful it can be. Oh, yeah. So in that case, we went to the pharmaceuticals because that was a pretty extreme case, but it's something that, you know, as a woman, you're probably like, well, okay, I'm not that, my libido's gone and it's kind of painful to have intercourse, but who cares? But there's other people in that relationship that do, <laughs> and it's also not comfortable, right? So there are more natural ways of addressing that or going to the pharmaceuticals as well. It's so wonderful that there is things to help because like you said, it's a range and you don't know where you're going to fit on that range. Is it hereditary? Uh, it can be. If you've ever had a, a pregnancy and then a postpartum period, sometimes that's kind of a window into what menopause may look like. Because if you think of that drop in hormone, like it's pretty significant. It can mimic what that drop in hormone looks like in menopause as well. So that could be a window into like, okay, what was that like for me? Now you've, you're dealing with lack of sleep and potentially mom or, you know, all the things that are going to be very different than in menopause. But if that was like really, really rough or like really emotional, and like a person want to be more proactive with getting things in place. It's not a telltale sign, but it could be. Okay. And you were saying perimenopause can last anywhere from like a couple months to 10 years. Is menopause about the same? Like it varies on how long it can last? Menopause, once you haven't had a period for a year, you're in menopause till the end, essentially. Oh, you are like, till you die, you are in menopause. Like (laughs) it is on your resume. You're like, oh, yep. And I'm menopause. Like, nice to meet you. Okay. Got it. Got it. I thought it was like a stage. I mean, (laughs) that's a fair question. Yeah. (laughs) I had no idea. And then I'm like, oh, and then do you become magical afterwards or? It's really funny. I did not realize that at all. And part of the reason I thought it was a stage is because I've heard about these issues with not wanting to have sex, being dry, all those things. And I actually have been told that goes away, but that could just be the women that I've talked to. It doesn't have to be temporary. That could just be a thing for the rest of your life. 
So I should clarify, those symptoms typically go away. So what happens is your body has all these receptors for the estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, like all the sex hormones. And when they're not getting fed the hormones at the level they're used to when you're cycling, then that's when you're more symptomatic. But over time, your body's like, well, I don't need to make these receptors anymore. So they start peeling back. So you're not going to necessarily have like hot flashes and all of the seven dwarf <laughs> symptoms. I should clarify, I guess, just the idea of being in menopause is there's no other stage after that. That makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> I have a question and, you know, not to go back to the sex thing, but I mean, obviously it's a big deal. Always go back to the sex thing. Always. I know, right? I've heard, you know, some celebrities as well have plugged different types of products, various types of treatments and wands. And I think there's like ones you can buy now on Amazon even in terms of, you know, helping with those types of simple wands that rejuvenate your vagina, apparently. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on those and you don't have to be specific about any brands or anything, but do you have any comments generally on that? Is that effective? I don't have specific experience with that in terms of like research on it or anything like that. But in my mind, in terms of how it might work, I could see how it could be helpful because if you're providing stimulation or activity in that area, you're going to be providing more lubrication naturally, right? It's like functionality back to that area. So that could be helpful. Part of the treatment for vaginal dryness is like moisturizer essentially, but specific for that area. And that can be extremely helpful. I think that's such a big deal, Barbara, right? I mean, we've had various conversations now with various people about these types of topics and it matters for relationships. What are we supposed to be doing if that happens? And like Dr. Pam, like you were saying, you know, if it's uncomfortable, you're not going to want to, but is there some natural things that you said they could take for the dryness or lotions? And then is there something natural for libido or something like that as well, if that's following Mm -hmm. with it? is a bit of a trickier one men and women experience that drive a little differently and so for women it's a little more so I thought you were going down the word toys but that's maybe what needs to happen right there needs to be a little bit more it's not just like oh it's 10 o'clock let's do this right like it's like there has to be a little bit more I guess I don't know how to say this in a PG way, but he doesn't need to be PG. A little bit more intimacy beforehand. For women especially, it's not just the act of having sex. There's a lot more that goes into it. And so finding out what that is. And if it is, say, the only time is 10 p.m., well, some people aren't interested at that time, right? So in the afternoon, but that doesn't always work for schedules. So it is about like a little bit more scheduling than when libido's a little higher in your 20s or something like that, right? Just a little more effort involved Efforts when you're older. Okay. Got it. So husbands need to step up their game. There's probably a billion dollar industry in different products out there and some herbs can be helpful. Okay. I just love when there's that natural alternative. And then speaking of, and I referenced her and so did you, Suzanne Summers, she was big on the creams for hormone replacement. That's the natural way, correct? Or is that pharmaceutical? Like which one is that? So there's bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. In the States, it's a bit different because you can literally go to like Walmart and get hormones, which is like crazy for us up here in Canada. That does not happen. (laughs) So that in Canada is 
pharmaceutical have a prescribing license to prescribe that it's different there's pros and cons to that and i think the doses that are available are pretty low but personally i would still want to make sure that you're checking in make sure it's appropriate for you to do a hormone so if you have a risk for breast cancer or you know things like that you would want to talk to somebody before just going on something like that personally i would really recommend that for example when there's vaginal dryness in menopause it's due to that lack of estrogen feeding the membranes of the vaginal canal and they start to actually literally dry out and that is what causes the pain and dryness so applying a little bit of estrogen to that area can make a huge difference for a lot of women when we're using bhrt which is the bioidentical hormone replacement therapy usually we're going to be doing like oral progesterone and do it in a cream as well but we find that when you're putting it on through the skin because it's metabolized differently we don't see the same protectiveness for the uterine and the breast tissue that we do when we see it with oral so they've done studies with women doing it topically and then women doing it orally they've taken biopsies of the actual uterine lining and they didn't find the same levels with topical so when we're using estrogen we always want to use progesterone with it to have that protective like yin and yang so progesterone is the yin the cooling the anti-inflammatory estrogen is kind of the yang where it's like building it's the one that helps with like the membranes it helps with symptoms but you kind of need both in balance when you're in menopause and so i typically never do oral estrogen i will do topical and will do oral progesterone with it. And, and okay. that's those studies. And the only thing I was worried about is I've heard since it is topical, if your child were to like hug you or something, I wouldn't want to interrupt their hormones. Is that a thing? Is that real? Absolutely real. I even had a patient where she, I always recommend using the applicator. So you're not touching it with your hands, but she was using her hands, rubbing it on and then touch the taps to wash her hands family was touching the taps and her daughter's levels of progesterone were like way too high. This wasn't a patient of mine. This is a case study of it. So definitely part of the informed consent. I even had a patient, her kids were a bit older. They were like 10 and 12, but she babysat her two-year-old niece quite a bit. So she was putting it on her lower back because then nobody was really touching there. Or you can do behind the knees, in her elbows. You can actually do like the labia as long as like your partner doesn't you're not active at that point. You'd want to do either after or wait at least four to six hours. But transference is absolutely part of my informed consent when doing topicals. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Cause I remember hearing about that. I like that you are like, okay, progesterone more orally, estrogen topically. Again, is that a natural doctor that is going to help with that? Cream is more natural, I guess, in the US. <laughs> so it's tricky because it still is somewhat synthetic. So it is synthetic. However, it matches our receptors fairly perfectly. So it's chemically similar to what our bodies naturally make. So the side effects typically are way less. And that's been my experience than HRT. So hormone replacement therapy, that specifically the estrogen is called Premarin, at least in Canada, it might be in the States as well. It was chemically similar to chemical in horse urine, which is kind of weird. But anyway, they used to make it from that. So it doesn't match our receptors like perfectly. You can think of it more like a birth control pill where it's not like a a chemically similar hormone. So I find that it's harder to get off of and the dosing can be a little bit more tricky. So it's definitely my preference. There was a really large study called the Women's Health Initiative. So I think it's appropriate to bring that up because it was like 50,000 women and they were looking at the safety of HRT, not bioidentical, but 
HRT. And the study actually got shut down. I think it was after three to five years because of the rates of breast and uterine cancers went like significantly high. There's a lot of issues with that study. So one, they started them on HRT 10 years postmenopause when those receptors are gone. So they're not used to that much. They also were doing fairly high doses of the HRT. So there were some issues, but when that first came out, it was a bit of a crazy time because, you know, a lot of them were like, but I feel so good. You can't get me off of this, right? So if a woman comes 10 years, they haven't had a period in like five, seven years, I will not start them on hormones. Okay. So I like this because like Teresa was saying, you're so good at preventative and it's getting ahead of it. And so if we have one symptom, we can start doing preventative or if we're over 40, right? Because I'm thinking of all these celebrities, like you look at, of course, we're into the vanity mode now because we all get there. So you look at Demi Moore, you look at all these celebrities, Jennifer Anderson, they look better than they've ever looked. I mean, they must be doing preventative or upping something, right? So tell me what that is. So again, they obviously are very physically fit. I mean, JLo on the stage, like I couldn't do that. (laughs) I'm aiming for that. Right? So yes. She probably has a really good skin routine. So part of the skin after menopause is the estrogen feeds collagen. So then we see an increase in wrinkles. Skin texture can change. Skin can thin out a little bit. So even doing something like collagen can be helpful because you're actually like building up your stores of that. So Um, orally. And do you like pills or? You need at least, depending on the type of collagen, anywhere from two to eight grams And the most you can fit in a capsule is 500 milligrams. So you're going to be taking like 20 pills. So powders. I've been putting it in my milkshakes and or milkshakes, smoothies Smoothies. in the morning. What are the other benefits of collagen? Just so we know. There's multiple different tissues in our body that need collagen. So hair, skin, nails, joints, blood cells, and it is a source of protein too. So if it's like the eight grams, that's like eight grams of protein that you're getting in your smoothie in addition to whatever you're putting in there. So yeah. So that's like our aging superpower. So that's like number one. And then the other thing that Demi and Jennifer are doing that the average person can do would be, I mean, hypothetically. Yeah. Okay. Postmenopausal, um, if you're really symptomatic, the areas of like thin skin is where I get women to rub the cream on. I also say if there's a little extra, put it around your eyes. Like It's just going to help feed the collagen there as well. I mean, I'm going to do the extra because... Yes. Only do estrogen if you're still having a period. So until you hit that year mark with no period. Okay. Unless you're having like severe vaginal dryness, then I might do a little bit of topical vaginal formula that's really low dose, but that's the only case I'd probably do estrogen before you are fully in menopause. Okay. So no estrogen until after a year of no menstrual cycle. What other besides the collagen can be that preventative, like ready to be superwoman? (laughs) For the rest of our days. So menopause is like, yeah, and I'm rocking this stage. So that's a tricky question because again, it depends on all things. I'm going to go back to lifestyle and dietary and exercise because those are the things that we know work. And wish there was a super magical pill, but you know, if stress is a big factor, then maybe we go back to those adrenal support herbs that can be helpful. If you are having like trouble sleeping and your hormones are a little off, like right before your period, you're feeling all the PMS symptoms then progesterone can actually work in that situation too. I wouldn't necessarily call that anti-aging per se, but that would be something. Now this is maybe a bit taboo too, but they probably are doing some things like Botox and stuff like that. And Botox is a bit preventative in a lot of ways. Again, weird that maybe a naturopath is saying that, but it is technically natural and it is preventative as well, but I'm not promoting it necessarily and I shouldn't Botox is a brand so maybe I shouldn't be saying that word but I can't see them not be using them but 
Yeah, and on the topic of Botox, if you don't mind, I think this is a whole other topic that we can have in the future for sure. But I know that there are a few treatments that you do. I love microneedling. It has changed my skin, especially in terms of I typically have oily skin. And now I find I rarely ever get blemishes because after you have babies and all the things, your skin just isn't the same anymore, right? So I've quite liked microneedling and my naturopath does that for me actually. And I'm just wondering the other couple of things. And then again, we can have a whole other episode on that as well. Well, yeah. I mean, cause I see the aging on my face, but botulism scares me a bit. And I'm like, watch, I'll be the person, that person that's allergic to botulism. Like, and then they'll be like, what happened to your face? I'll be like, I tried. I don't know. I'm trying to age gracefully. So what would be some good, more natural, even though essentially it is natural ish things like Teresa was saying, micro needling, or is there anything that doesn't have the word needle in it? Maybe what you were doing with needles and that's why microneedling does work so well is we're kind of disrupting the bottom layer of the skin that's going to come out like the top layer is dead tissue essentially right so sort of reminding the immune system and the body and the blood flow and it's improving that specific layering of the cells and there are techniques that aren't super painful like depending if they have like a pen or something like that they're not super painful i do offer something called prp or platelet rich plasma and that is basically it is needles but you're taking out blood the person's blood <laughs> and then you're spinning it to concentrate the platelets and then we're putting that back in so that's improving collagen production and stem cell growth and things like that and then having a good skincare regime sunscreen I mean that's really important as well and like watching how much time your sun is not smoking smoking obviously is like a huge like just like takes all the vitamin D out of your body and out of your skin. Those are kind of the bigger ones. A lot of people just use like soap and water. That's going to be really drying long-term for the skin. Do you mind chatting about what your thoughts are on retinol? Retinol can be really useful. It's basically that I form a vitamin A and vitamin A is needed for, like I mentioned with like the regular it's called keratinization, but that's doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but the, the regular, like, I guess, building of the skin itself, if you're prone to acne or you're prone to redness, retinol can be in quite helpful. The age spots, like sometimes people get those as well. So there's different things that can be helpful. So retinol can be really helpful in certain cases. In Canada, high doses is a prescription as well, but you can get it in a lot of products at different doses. There is an upper limit to how much you can take. And usually when I'm starting someone out on a retinol, I'll get them to do every other day and I'll start like super, super low dose because it can really dry the skin out. And there's issues with like liver and things like that. The ones that are available over the counter probably won't. You have to be really careful with the sun then when you're taking retinol, right? Okay. Then And then the sunscreen during the day. Would you suggest someone doing like a prescription strength on their forehead instead of Botox? <laughs> it does work a little differently, obviously, but if anti-aging is something that someone's interested in, it's worth the conversation with their practitioner who can prescribe it. Yeah. Or the over-the-counter one, because like I said, they're pretty low dose and there's a bit more safety there. There's different doses and there's different forms too. So the over-the-counter ones aren't usually the tretinoids. So that's, yeah, that's a whole, probably another. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to get off topic, but it's also related, right? No, it's, yeah. All into vanity help as we're aging. And I know diet and exercise more than ever because our bodies are becoming less resilient. We all find it when we're like, oh, I used to, you know, I had an event and I used to be able to just kick it into gear like two weeks before and I'd be like, good to go. And now I'm like, oh, that didn't work. 
<laughs> the lifestyle factor for more of like a health benefit is like the estrogen, like I mentioned, is protective for the brain, the heart, and the bones. So after menopause, we are more at risk for osteoporosis, cardiovascular disease, and, and obviously the, the brain health. So the exercise piece is so important. Putting resistance on your bones is what helps build strong bones. And we know that actually starts in the teenage years, how active a teen is, like around when they're in puberty, can actually predict their risk for osteoporosis later in life. And this is another side, maybe another podcast, but being on the birth control pill as a teenager has been linked to increased risk of osteoporosis and different things. So that's interesting too. I know how many, like everyone in our age demographic was on the pill, I think in high school. So that's interesting, right? So now more than ever, it's really important that you're doing resistance exercise to help the safety of your bones postmenopausally. That's big. And definitely that collagen. Do you like the powder form? Yeah, the capsules just, you're not going to get the pills. I just don't think it's worth it. Okay. No, that's really good. And I will definitely up that because I'm like, don't go, don't go. I just want to keep it all in there. Start with the collagen then. Start with the collagen. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's good. And just really, I guess for most people is just knowing that when you're getting one of the, I love that she calls it seven dwarfs of menopause. Yeah. Cause it makes it like easy to remember if you're getting any of those to go see your doctor, will they most likely give you a blood panel? So they know exactly what you're looking at, like where your numbers are and stuff like that. Depends on the practitioner. So if you were to come to my office and you're experiencing those things, I might send you for blood work because then it kind of helps me feel confident if like BHRT or bioidentical hormone replacement therapy is the right call. But the tricky thing, like I mentioned, is estrogen's kind of flying up and down. So in that moment, like there's limitations to blood work too. In that moment, if we did your estrogen or estradiol, are you on the top of that roller coaster or are you at the bottom, right? So it's like, you could be really, really high and you could be really, really low. So it's sort of that tricky time to kind of capture that. There right. are ways of capturing it through either urine or saliva where we're looking at the average over like a month or a period of time. So that could be a little bit more interesting, maybe a bit more accurate. It's tricky, but maybe a bit more accurate. If you haven't had a period and it's been almost 12 months, I might run FSH and LH just to kind of see that that's the brain message to the ovaries. So typically conventionally, that's the only two hormones that they will run is FSH and LH. They don't typically run estrogen and, and progesterone. But like I mentioned, I sometimes like to just to kind of have a baseline for that. For some women, we might even run testosterone because that's also an important one for the libido and like we, we need testosterone too, right? So potentially that. Another one that we didn't touch on, but I might run looking at glucose levels. So looking at there's something called fasting insulin that can start to rise as we age and that can be predicted for diabetes like 10 years before and if you're higher than where I want you to be that can also interfere that's inflammation that's insulin resistance starting that kind of ties in with it a little bit as well so there's a few things that I like to run and on the preventative optimizing health standpoint that aren't typically done in like a routine a lot of women get excessive bleeding like hemorrhaging and perimenopause so looking at iron levels thyroid all of that is important potentially if, if hemorrhaging is happening then we might want to look at like an ultrasound to make sure you we're ruling out fibroids because sometimes like a lot of women go through life having fibroids, no problem at all. Menopause comes and then that's when the heavy bleeding kind of starts. Okay. And that's a huge one for a lot of menopausal women is like heavy, heavy bleeding. And last question about the blood work. I heard it's good to get a more accurate, like you said, the estrogen is going up and down. Maybe sometimes it's good to get it right before your period or right after your period or during your period. Do you have any suggestions on that? 
Definitely. So if you're cycling regularly, so we know you're ovulating, especially progesterone, we want to see that number about five to seven days after ovulation. That's a tricky one. That's another whole podcast in the fertility podcast. We'll talk about it, but knowing when you ovulate, that's when we expect the progesterone levels to be highest about five to seven days later. That's the best time to test it. Cause if you're low, then, then we know you're low all month. I just have one question as well about blood work. And I think it relates to fertility. And I think we're going to be chatting about that anyway. So you may want to push this question off or this answer off. Thyroid testing, there are more than one, there's more than one thyroid test and you have to typically specifically ask your physician, I find. In Canada, at least every province has its own healthcare system. BC, we, where I live, the government will not pay for those extra ones unless something called TSH, which is the main thyroid hormone that's checked conventionally is elevated. So even if your doctor writes it on the rec, they want it. If it's not elevated, they just won't do it. So people can opt to pay privately for that. And there's benefits to knowing that. And I think you're right. I think it does fit. If it's a little bit into in the menopause topic, because a lot of women notice their metabolism slowing down in menopause, weight gain around the middle. And if you're thyroid is regulating your metabolism, then knowing if you're actually converting your thyroid hormones into the active forms can be useful because that can be something that we will do temporarily is maybe give a bit of thyroid hormone or thyroid support. And that can show up in menopause too. And so what would those tests be called that Teresa was saying that aren't your conventional one? I would refer to it as a thyroid panel, but essentially what you're looking at is so TSH kind of like FSH and LH that comes from the brain, but TSH tells the thyroid what to do. And so if the thyroid isn't listening, your brain has just put out more and more and more thyroid hormone. And that means that maybe you're what's called hypothyroid if it's like a lot of TSH. In BC, at least it's over five. So that means that the thyroid's not listening. The actual thyroid hormones are T4 and T3. And T4 is what's made in abundance and then converted to T3. So in a perfect world, that conversion largely happens in the liver, the level of the thyroid in different areas of the body, but things can interrupt that conversion. So low iron, low minerals and cortisol, all of that can interrupt how much of that T4 is being converted into T3 and T3 is active. That's what gives us all the metabolic properties. If that is interrupted, then what happens is your body can make something called reverse T3 and it's metabolically inactive. So it doesn't have all those same properties, but still telling the brain that you're making thyroid hormone. And I want your TSH at a certain level, not necessarily at five because that doesn't, five just means, okay, yeah, we need to intervene. But if it's over in at least our lab ranges, I don't know the American conversion. So I apologize. It is different. In oh, these, that's right. But anyway, that it's over like two, 2.5, I'm going to be like investigating that a little bit more, especially if there's symptoms. So um, if I'm going to my doctor, cause I actually am going to get a blood panel done and I would like to have more thorough on the thyroid. So if I say I want more I want to see T3 and T4. I want to see where my actual thyroid hormones are. If there's a family history of hypothyroidism, so your mom or your sister or somebody in the family is on a thyroid medication, or you're having trouble conceiving, so this is why it kind of fits with the fertility topic that we'll talk about in a different episode, but then you might want to look at something called TPO antibodies or TG antibodies. So these ones are looking at more of like an autoimmune connection with the thyroid. And that can be really, really, really common as well. So if there is that sort of family history or trouble conceiving or really overt hypothyroid symptoms, but the TSH is still within range, I might run that as well. Okay. That's really helpful because I think we all go through this and you never know when it's going to happen, how long it's going to happen, how it's going to hit you. Like within your group of friends and someone's experiencing something and you're like, whoa, is that me? Or it just becomes this crazy unknown. 
it's scary. It's just a lot. And there's so much varied information. So it's helpful to know that there is pharmaceutical, there's the natural approach and the preventative really to focus on that. This is super helpful for me because I was like, what is happening? There's books. I don't read the books. I hope for osmosis, but it never happens. So this is really helpful because it is a hot topic with 40 plus women. This is it. How we can age like Demi Moore. <laughs> I wish we all could. <laughs> yeah. I wish we all could. Thank you so much, Dr. Pam, as always. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. It's always so much fun. There are so many amazing takeaways from this episode, really important things to be aware of and some fun things of how we can all age like Demi Moore and Jennifer Anderson. <laughs> the average age of menopause and perimenopause, knowing that. Also, I loved Suzanne Summers' original Seven Dwarves of Menopause, Dr. Pam's eighth, and the impact of your lifestyle factors, understanding progesterone, estrogen, cortisol, and adrenal gland and fertility issues, and when to start supplementing with hormone replacement therapy or progesterone and estrogen and herbs, et cetera, and why it's important not to take during your period, and helpful herbs for menopause symptoms. Some of them I can't even say very well, so definitely get those in the episode and in the show notes. And the impact of heredity as a gauge. So for women who have had children, the link between the postpartum period and what your menopause will be like, and the natural and not natural hormone replacement creams. There's the bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and the hormone replacement therapy and the yin and yang balance between the topical estrogen and the oral progesterone. That one I thought was awesome. And the dangers of topical creams when you're wearing that with your younger kids. I thought this was really good awareness for anyone that's using those. And the secrets to looking like celebs, which I was mentioning before with like Demi Moore and Jennifer Aniston, who look better than they ever have. The importance of collagen and skincare products and other treatments that we could be doing, which I thought was so helpful. And then lastly, blood work, what to look for while you're going through menopause and the preventative health optimizing panel, including the thyroid panel of blood work. I hope this helps. It's a lot of information, but so helpful. And I know this will be something I'm looking into right away. Have Thank you again for joining us today. We know how many other things you could be doing, and it means the world to us that you're here. We hope you always get something valuable from our podcast and that you feel supported. If you have a question for us about our content or anything else, please leave it in your review of this podcast, or you can send us an email or DM us on Instagram. We're here for you, so let us know what topics would be helpful and that you're interested in. You can join our membership by clicking on the link in the show notes. You are never alone in parenting, and we're here to support you at every stage. If you know anyone that would be inspired or supported by this podcast, please share it with them. We provide content every week, so please subscribe wherever you're listening from. If you leave a review, you'll have the opportunity to win a gift that we absolutely love. We're so excited about this giveaway. We only introduce brands to our community that align with our values, and Barbara and I both love the Now Tone Therapy System. This yoga for your mind is one of the most simple ways to relax, relieve stress and anxiety. The creators recommend listening twice a day for only three minutes to receive these benefits or to listen as often as you like. And if you buy them, there's a risk-free three-month trial period. What we like best about Now Tone Therapy System is that it's something everyone can make time for. My family likes to listen first thing in the morning and at the end of each day. It's the easiest and most relaxing path to mindfulness daily. We'll link to this amazing product in the show notes below. Thank you so much for joining us today and we'll see you next time.